Welcome to The Factor, a global medical device podcast series powered by Agilis by Kymanox. Today's episode is hosted by Shannon Hosty, president of Agilis by Kymanox and assistant professor in the quality education program at Pathway for Patient Health. With Shannon today are Dr. Christiana Hoffman and Richard Houlihan. Christiana is an executive consultant and business development manager with Anturis by Kymanox, and Richard Houlihan is the former IT consultant for the European Commission. And since then, he has started his own company called AirMed, which is the leading ED data submission software provider. On the show, they uncover the transparency challenges and opportunities brought about by the ED requirements, and they explore how the delay in MDR implementation impacted the industry. Here's Shannon. I have been learning more about the changes with the delay with regards to MDR and and hearing more about the UDMED requirements and the, the rollout of all of that. So Christiana, let me start with you. Uh, what are you seeing with regards to uh, the MDR delays? I think um, the MDR delay was perhaps not the best decision to take because it's only postponing um, the problems or the issues or again the curve we will um, have to take or say the wave yeah, because you need the resources and actually you need the resources right now. You must build up your MDR strategy and already register at a notified body to get MDR compliant and all the other topics. Yeah, you, you must do it now. Yeah, it's it's only a, a shift and um, yeah, a, a delay. And I think it's it does not help anyone. Yeah, you can see it with the notified bodies. There is a kind of flattening the curve also in the consultancy service. I don't know if it's the same with you, Richard, but um, yeah, 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 um, I think will get very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. So don't take your foot off the gas. <laughs> Keep going. I'm, I'm seeing the same thing um, on my side with regards to companies when, when the postponement it gave a little bit of breathing room, but I don't think it should slow anyone down. Definitely a keep going situation. But that breathing room was supposed to be for the notified bodies. Exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be for the manufacturers, and they have just gone and relaxed against some of them. Very good point. Yeah, and, and a lot of the concerns were even, there were even supply chain concerns, correct, with the current schedule. Uh, the, the commissioner, when she was talking, she even brought Ukraine into it. Ukraine had nothing to do with the medical device side of things. The medical device issues had been flagged five, six years ago, and nobody did anything about it. But still, I think they blamed COVID for the last delay, which, again, didn't really have that big an impact on the, the Udamed side, at least. Perhaps it was to bring together the timing of Udamed and MDR a little bit closer. This was all supposed to... Udamed was supposed to have been released in March 2020. Yeah. And then in May 2020, then that's when MDR applied. Initially, the notified bodies and the competent authorities, they were given three months, or the competent authorities were given three months where they were going to have to approve all the actor registrations. Three months. And I was at the working groups when some of these guys were arguing with the commission going, look, it's impossible. And here we are three years later, some of the competent authorities take months 
to approve. Others are quite quick, but it's still a big ask on a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So may I ask a question to you? Or um, you are working for the commission, the, the IT compartment for Euromet, or is this correct? I was. Yeah, you, you, you were. Yeah, yeah I, I left the commission in, in April 2019, and I was managing the IT teams that were creating Udemed. So you mentioned minimally viable. So with regards to Udemed, can, can we step back and maybe let's start with, if you don't mind, the, the overall goal of Udemed, kind of the inner vision, what's, it's, very, it's a very exciting, kind of a, a audacious goal. So I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to see it, it when is. we fully get there. But what's the, the overall goal of it? And then let's step back and talk about what that minimally viable solution is, kind of where we'll start probably in the next year. The overall goal from the commission's point of view, well, publicly from the commission's point of view, was transparency. Because a lot of, a lot of the, the decisions that were made stem from the PIP case with the industrial silicone in was it 2012, 2011, 2012. And I was actually looking after um, an earlier version of Udemed because Udemed has actually literally been there since the late 90s. It was a copy of a DIMD system. And they asked DIMD, could we use this? And this became Udemed 1. Then in 2011, Udemed 2 came along. Now, publicly, what you're seeing now is really Udemed 3, but it's just called Udemed because the other two were hidden from view. So I was looking after Udemed 2 since 2011. And I was sitting in a place in Ireland, in the commission building in Ireland. And that evening, sitting in my apartment, watching some political show or other, And they were complaining about the PIP case. I know you're kind of half asleep watching some of these. You might catch the odd word here and there. But suddenly they started bitching about the European Commission and the database that they have for tracking medical devices. I thought, hang on a second. That's, that's the thing I'm involved in. I never comprehended how big the impact of this particular thing is. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's just data. It's a piece of software that needs to run. People log in. They do something. Right, that's all I could see at that time. So then I see these guys bitching about this. And I thought, okay, so this is a little bit more important than I thought. Then I go to a working group meeting where all the little flags are on the table and it's nicely intimidating. And I was supposed to do 20 minutes. And I ended up doing an hour and a half with bantering with the member states and the, um, the competent authorities. Now, the regulations are to control one side of things. They're to make sure that everybody does everything right. But the goal of Udemed was always about transparency. It was always so you can see things. Because when the PIP case came, nobody had anywhere to look. Nobody could find any details on it. Now, I don't know if Udemed would have helped with the PIP case. Probably not. But it would certainly have helped with some of the devices over the years that were um, less than ethical, we shall say. But the other side of Udemed is that most of the public won't understand it anyway, which is quite, it's a, it's a bit of a downside. Sometimes when you get transparency, you get so much information, it makes no sense to you. And that's also what they've done with a lot of the documents regarding Udemed and the, the, um, the fields of where to find information. They've given it in so many different ways. People are lost and confused. But with regards to the transparency side, 
at least when somebody goes to their doctor, they're going to get, a, we'll say, a hip replacement. It's always a good, a good example. They're going to get a hip replacement. They'll be able to look up Udamed and find out about this particular replacement. And then when all the data is in there, they'll also be able to find out about the vigilance issues. Now, obviously, confidential fields here and there, but they'll be able to get a good idea of what's going on. And if this thing looks like it's a disaster, at least the people will be able to say, can you find me a different one? Because I'm not happy with that. But one of the downsides of the transparency and one of the downsides of Udamed is its versioning. Because in theory, when you change your device, you're supposed to upload a new version. And this gives you version two, version three, version four, and that's publicly visible. But if you've made a mistake in the data, somebody didn't double check one of the free text fields and there's a, a wrong size typed in. Oh, we have to create a new version because that's the only way to edit the field. So then you're in version two, version three, and your product's only three months old. To the public, they will see this three-month-old product on version three, and the first thing they're going to think about is, oh, my God, why do they need three versions? What was wrong with the other products? Because the commission never allowed a field to explain the difference in versions. It's just the versions of the data, but they don't explain it. So the, the, the whole transparency side of things, I think is brilliant. I think it will theoretically force companies to behave a little bit. I saw one commentary from a, a lawyer in the US where he said when he's involved in the, the medical device lawsuits, one of the biggest issues he always had was trying to find out who owned the product. Now, the product would be traced right back because it doesn't matter if you're an OEM manufacturer, if you're whatever kind of manufacturer you can no longer hide. So he reckons that he will be able to download virtually all the information he needs from Udamed. But the downside is from the manufacturer's point of view that they will not be able to hide. On the, the, the legal side of things, it will possibly cut years off some of these, these cases. Now, hopefully these cases are going to get less and less, but you're always going to have something that's just not, um, that's just not right. But again, the transparency is also a marketing possibility for companies. What we've actually seen already is some of the importers and distributors searching Udamed like it's a product catalog, which was a bit of a surprise. Never, I never expected that one. The other thing, there's a free text field in there for a, a URL, just direct information about the product. A lot of companies aren't using it, foolishly not using it, because when the patients go in, even when they're with the doctor and the doctor's trying to explain the extra fields and stuff like that, when that link is there, they're going to click on it. So on the other side of that link, you need the nice pretty faces with the nice white teeth going, that product was just brilliant. And that will also help with the, the importers, the selling of the product, et cetera, that way. So the ultimate goal, transparency. What it's going to end up as, I don't know. Because every time the commission have a new version, they take a little bit more control. Like that first Udamed from Dimdi. Dimdi were obviously delighted. It was a compliment to what they've done. And the commission adopts it. The next version, which was several years later, they take a little bit more control where you have to submit certain data to the competent authorities who used to upload it. And here we are with the third version well, now they're taking really strong control over the whole industry. 
So what's going to come in the fourth version, fifth version? I don't know. Are you gonna are you gonna have to update it for all your um, your production runs? Are you gonna have to have that level of detail in there? If you do, Udemed is gonna become an awful beast, but very transparent. Absolutely agree. But would you also agree that another keyword is traceability, traceability of um, device data and information? Yeah, I think this is also um, a goal of of Udemed. Oh, as much as possible. I think this um, just always comes in my mind when I'm thinking of Udamed. And yeah, at least as you meant for the PIP uh, scandal, it's um, yeah more or less to ensure the safe devices on the market. And therefore, they develop this kind of reports, the uh, PSUR, the SSCP. And yeah, this is also everything going in the direction to make the products and medical devices safe. And therefore, we need a platform, and the platform is Udamed, and the platform has a lot of tasks, and um, yeah, therefore, it's... It's huge. I mean, I, I remember sitting with some of the developers when we were trying to estimate the amount of days to do the, the clinical investigations module. It was over double the other modules. It's an entire ecosystem. This thing is absolutely monstrous. I'm delighted. I was, I'm delighted I was never coding on it. It was just just huge um but what one of the things with the previous incarnations there was never going to be data transfer they were never going to move data across so everything that's going into Udemed now is clean data the level of rules that they have put in place and i mean some of them are ridiculous but it means the data going in will always have to be as perfect as you can get it but if you put in perfect data when the reporting comes along and the statistics that come out. It's going to be very, very interesting to see some of these things. Um, some of the things I found when I was working in the, the, the Irish side, I got to sit with the medical device auditors, the guys that used to go around the, um, the notified bodies, et cetera. And I asked the, the head guy, I said, look, what do you actually do? So he sat me down, very, very nice Northern Irish gentleman. He sat me down and he started going through everything. He said, see this certificate? I says, yeah. He said, that name there. I said, who is it? What's their background? What gives that person the right to sign that certificate? And he went from there. And it was nearly a forensic exercise. He went from there and went all the way backwards, right back to this person's experience. He questioned their education. And he says, at the moment, he says, we cannot de-designate notified bodies. No, you absolutely cannot. And yeah. there so was... Go on. Yeah, no, I was working for notified bodies uh, for six years, so so I know what's yeah, what's going on. But they did notice a lot of shopping around of things. Certain devices were more likely to get signed off going to certain places. There was one in particular. It was um, a knee implant, I think it was, and the UK had refused it. And they'd refused it with a list of things. Everything was wrong. Their technical documentation was just terrible. But that company then went to another notified body and they were given the certificate. Now, the UK jumped up and down. The MHRA, I have to give them 10 out of 10. When we worked with them inside the commission, they were at least on the, the, the working groups. Brilliant. But the MHRA jumped up and down and that certificate was taken away. 
It should never have been given a certificate. So again, things like that will appear in the statistics. If you see a, a cohort of companies going to country X, yeah, but yet you can get the same certificate in country Y, but nobody goes there, then that will trigger a very interesting investigation to see why. And again, this on the certificate side, most of that or all of that is also going to be public. So you will be able to go see it. You will be able to go see the history. You know, the, the refuse certificates, they will also be there. I think it's very helpful then for the accreditation body of the of the specific country. You, know, you can go in Ulamet and have a look on, on certificates that were not issued from another notified body and, and so on. Yeah, you can now have a look on that and perhaps then some notified bodies the accreditation will be questioned, yeah. Yeah. I know he told me at the time that there was one or two notified bodies that if they could have pulled the plug straight away, they would have done it. But at the time, the legislation wasn't there to allow them to do it. But now it's there. And now these guys have real teeth, which is also another reason why the notified bodies are being so picky with the manufacturers. Because if they get it wrong, they're in trouble. And they've, I mean, the notified body investment in getting this accreditation is huge. So they can't gamble on that. But it's a little bit contradictory now because we need more and more notified bodies on the one hand. And on the other hand, we have to be, or the accreditation body must be very critical on the new notified bodies. Yeah. So it's also, as always, like a political decision. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For the accreditation and also for the country. Yeah. So it's, it's very challenging. It is, I remember talking with Erica. Uh, she, were, she was with BSI on the IBDR side. And they had to employ PhD-level people just to sit there and do nothing, just to show that they had the people to do the accreditation when the time came. Yeah. But the investment in having people sit there and do nothing is, is huge. So someone has to pay. And I know the manufacturers, uh, again, I, for, I don't know why I stick up for notified bodies, but sometimes the manufacturers are just really irritated at the level of cost. And I, I could completely understand it, but someone has to pay the notified bodies. And the ultimate person to pay is going to be the, the taxpayer in the various countries. So it's, it's a bit of a tough one. So as you talk about all of the data, but also the way to build the system so that data can be mined to answer different questions. You talked about, again, I'm always coming at it from a human factors perspective. You've got patients, so lay users, end users, general public. Um, you've got clinicians as users of the system and looking at this data in, in a different way. And you have regulatory bodies looking at this data in a different way, even you know to the level of checking and making sure that the process is working overall. When I think about the architecture that you would have to build into that system for that level of data and the level of three things, the amount of data that's in there, the ability to, to look at that data from all of those different perspectives and the constant potential updates and changes and additional requirements and having an architecture that you can hang those in without overhauling everything. That's huge. It is huge. <laughs> and I'm laughing because when we initially started designing this, we were looking at the regulations. The legacy devices were never supposed to be in there. 
there was never going to be transfer from Udemed to, to Udemed. So what that meant to us on the IT side is that it's no directive devices. So we just ignored it. So the initial infrastructure or the initial like database keys would have been your basic UDI and your UDI-DI. Simple. But then the member states started getting a little bit uppity, a little bit angry with some of these things. And there was, at some of the MDCG meetings, they had discussions around, well, we want to see the legacy devices in there. And the commission kept pushing back. But eventually, the MDCG put their foot down, the member states put their foot down. These are the people who pay the bills. So the commission had to say, okay, look, we'll, we'll figure something. And it was thrown back to IT. And we were like, oh, my God, what do, how, how do you do this? Because first of all, the regulation devices have can have multiple UDIs under one basic, whereas the legacy devices in Europe, not all of them even had UDIs. And some of them did have UDIs, which causes two different problems. But none of them had the concept of a basic UDI. That just didn't exist. We, we sat around this absolutely pulling our hair out. See, this is what happened. This is what happened with this thing. So eventually we came around to the idea of a fake basic UDI. Take your existing UDI and just put a beehive in front of it. And then if it's a real UDI, you just leave it with the correct issuing entity. If it's a fake, you put it with a D hyphen and use Udemed as the issuing entity. And it allowed us to mess with the system. Now, it's very, very secure. It works beautifully now. And the other thing that you had to look at there as well is the relationships, the history. And this is another marketing thing, by the way. So a lot of companies have decided that they're just going putting the regulation devices in. That argument is kind of changing a little bit, which we'll get to in a, in a second about the whole extensions and things. But and a lot of our clients, they were saying, no, no legacy devices. We're just going regulation all the way. That's fine. The market start date for your regulation device is when you got your certificate. Not when you started selling the device 20 years ago. It's when you get your certificate. So then your history starts from, we'll say, May 31st. But if someone is coming in, an importer coming in or a distributor, all on the public side, they're coming in to have a look for new products. Your history is two months old. But if you have put your legacy device in there, one of the things we did when we were working out this fake basic UDI, et cetera, is connecting the two because you're allowed to reuse the same UDI. Now, there's a lot of checks done on the data to make sure it is the same device. It's not infallible, but it's very, very close. But by adding the legacy device with the regulation device, then the end user can tick the little box that goes all versions. And you say, oh, so this has been on sale for 20 years. And look, it's got no vigilance or whatever the case may be. So it looks very attractive. Database itself is huge. And you have to split it. So you have one for the public and you want to use. One public site, one private site. The private site is to allow you guys, the competent authorities, the notified bodies to constantly update, add, whatever. But then there's the public site. And you had to separate the two out because of hackers, because of site scrapers and things like that. Just mentioning the site scrapers, 
I had a contact recently from someone who was absolutely furious, and she was talking about the European Commission selling the email addresses of the people within Udemet. They don't. I can guarantee beyond a shadow of a doubt the Commission don't do that. But what is happening is these site scrapers are going to the public site. They're searching all the actors, pull the email address out, all the PRRCs, pull the email address out, and then they get marketing, spammed, conned, whatever. So the one word of warning to everybody, don't put in your own email address. Put in a functional email address that you can lock things out because some people are getting really, really heavily spammed with this. But getting, getting back to the infrastructure, it is the tightest security in my 25-plus years in IT that I've ever seen. In every other system I've ever worked on, even on systems in the commission, I could go look at the database. If there's something wrong, you go in, oh, that's the bit of data that's wrong. I'll fix that very quickly, and away you go. On Udemed, there was three people who had direct access to the database. Everybody had it to development. That's fine. But to production, there was three people with dongles who had to sign in for everything and sign everything off. That data in there, it's an IT system connected to the internet, no matter which way you look at it. I would never say anything's unhackable because everything is hackable. But it's as secure as you can make it. Real black box stuff. Nobody gets in. Uh, I'm fairly sure there's plenty of people who've tried, but I'd say it's probably as secure, if not more secure than banks at this stage. Shannon, Christiana, and Richard are going to hit the pause button there for now. Next time, they'll discuss the complexities of UDI compliance and the impact of AI on data reporting. So look out for that soon. In the meantime, check out Christiana and Richard's websites at enteris-medical.com and udamed.com. That's E-U-D-A-M-E-D.com. This episode was edited and produced by EarFluence. We'll talk to you again soon on The Factor.